Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Bundle to go away? Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate. Midway through the flight, they suddenly decide that they want to put me in the overhead locker in the plane. Everybody in the Bears team found all these mouldy pears in the bottom of their bag. Felt his hand on me. And I look back and he says, we're going to get this picture, champ. Oh my goodness. That has got to be the worst attempt of a drop goal in televised history. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Techno Wood School is a school for autistic children and young adults and we have set this podcast up to avoid our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a Sky Sports broadcaster. He has presented cricket, rugby and now Formula One. Welcome to the podcast, Simon Lazenby. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's really good to be here. I'm happy to talk to you uh, to you all. I've heard a lot about the podcast uh, from a friend of mine at Sky, and he says all good things about it. And I noticed it's won some awards as well. So <laughs> I'm I'm honoured to be asked on. <laughs> Thanks. We like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talk about your career. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? <laughs> that's a that's a good first question. I've now got to think. Can I go through my phone now? <laughs> go um, ahead. Well, it's I've probably got to say some of my colleagues, haven't I? Damon Hill and Martin Brundle and Jensen Button. So those are probably three of the most uh, famous ones. But I've still got some some old cricket contacts and uh, some. Yeah, just from from twenty five years in sports broadcasting. If I ploughed through here, I, I'm sure I'd find some. But uh, yeah, I've uh, I, I try not to to bum dial them. Do you know what I mean? So because that's awful. I remember I did that once, and this is I, I did that once with. Do you remember Sam Allardyce? Who, oh who yeah, we did. We interview him. No, yeah, we did. Have you, have you interviewed him? We have. Yeah, we've yes. spoken to him. He's he's a very very nice man, uh, but of course it's a. So Sam Allardyce and the amount of times I sat on my phone and found that I'd like FaceTime Sam. So there you go. So they probably Sam Allardyce. I think. <laughs> if you could, so I know. <laughs> I know. If, if you could trade lives of anyone for a day, who would it be and why? I tell you, I mean, you know, obviously at the moment with everything that's going on in in Ukraine, I, I, I mean, just to to live an hour in. Um, President Zelensky's shoes would be uh, harrowing, but absolutely eye-opening as to what's going on in the world. But as far as, you know, as this is a sports podcast and 
and, I, and I'm a big sports fan. I'd like, I, I mean, I'd love, huge golf fan. The Masters has just been on. I've got to say Tiger Woods. I mean, what what uh, what a what a player, what a, what a man he is. I mean, yes, he's had his problems in, in the past, but what he's achieved in the sport, now watching him enjoy himself as he's sort of roughly the same age as, as I am in the kind of autumn of his career. But that, that is a guy that I admire greatly for his skills. He, he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Well, should I have a bit of time to think about this one? I'd probably like to fly. I think I'd like to fly. I was just watching Super Pets with my kids last night and uh, Superman and Super Dog were in it and they float, they flew. So, so you could just fly really fast wherever you want in the world at any point. So yeah, I'll say flying like Superman and Super Dog. <laughs> Thank you for answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. <laughs> we we want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. Is it right that you moved around a lot due to your dad's job? What was that like moving around a lot as a child? Do you know, I think now I've got kids, it's mildly terrifying to to think that you could up sticks and put your kids in with fresh um, people that they don't know all the time. But I think it kind of... Um, helped me become maybe a bit more outgoing and, and less shy because I moved around all the time. So I was I was born in Canada, not that I remember it. And then I moved to uh, Australia because my dad worked for BP. So we moved around the world with, with BP. So I moved to Perth, which was fantastic and learnt the art of appalling leg spin bowling. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, watched as my dad sort of swam in the oceans with all the sharks around but there were shark nets and things like that and then we went up to scotland uh and so i had four years up there and then came back down to um yeah came back down and, and moved towards guildford so i loved moving around i really did because i thought it gave me a real it gave me a, a a will to travel i love traveling and one thing you have to do in formula one is travel a lot and enjoy traveling otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it so i think it kind of shaped my personality as somebody <laughs> likes to get on planes and trains and automobiles a lot you mentioned australia there you got, you got the blonde hair you could be the, a shane Warne. oh you know they, there's one i i i, I did i know i, I hate to brag but i did get the opportunity he was my hero growing up actually adam and uh, um, I got to play a round of golf with him at Celtic Manor before the Ryder Cup was there. It was a Sky Sports golf day. And I, I think the boss of Sky knew that he was a hero of mine. Uh, he really was a hero of mine because I grew up when I was in Australia with that Channel 9 commentary team. So to play 18 holes with him was amazing. I played like, a com I mean, honestly, I just was hitting shanks. It was in the water. It was awful. It was so embarrassing. But he was really good. He was like, come on, mate, just have a, have a beer at half time and that <laughs> relax me a little bit after after nine holes. So, yeah, I, he was a great hero of mine. Loved him. Loved him. Yeah, and you mentioned the Celtic Manor. So I'm from Newport, South Wales originally. Yeah. Celtic Manor was, was my golf course. Was it? It's a beautiful golf course. Beautiful golf course. Yeah, it is. Incredibly hard, I found. But um, yeah, Scott Quinnell, who I used to work with on the rugby as well, he plays down there a lot. And uh, yeah, I remember plenty of Heineken Cup matches when we went down that way to see the Dragons and uh, and all that. So uh, yeah, fond memories of, of going down that way. Love it. Am I the only one who's never been golfing before? I don't. Have you not? 
Lizzie. No, nope, I have not. Robert, you talk. start. Honestly, I don't. It, I, it will drive you to insanity. It's so difficult. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, join the club. We're all, we're, you know, it's it's driven me potty for uh, 40, 47 years, 48 years, whatever I am now. <laughs> You joined Sky Sports in 1998 on work experience. What are your first memories of joining Sky and what was your first role at the company? So, shall I take you back to... So, I, I studied uh, sort of natural sciences at a uh, university, which was mainly biochemistry. So, I thought that, you know, maybe it's... There's no future, is there, in developing vaccines for a global pandemic? So that was my first mistake. So then I, I decided I was going to go into commodity trading, and I was so bad at it that I lost a, a load of money. And I thought, well, my sister was in TV, and she was having a great time. She worked on the big breakfast, which will be miles before your time, but it was breakfast TV. So I wrote to a couple of people I knew at Sky Sports and got some work experience, and I kind of started off making the teas and coffees and then I got into um, being a production junior and editorial assistant. And then I kind of one day I, I thought, well, you know, I'd quite like to have a go at uh, at reporting. So I walked into the boss's office and I asked if I could, could have a go. And he said, well, OK, um, you know, you're confident enough to come and walk in here. And, and they gave me a they gave me a screen test and a, and a shot at it. And then. A couple of years later, they just went, here you go. I was sitting in an edit suite um, in Austerley, where Sky is, and I had a, a phone call from the Scottish boss. He said, hey, go home, get your shirt and tie, you're on tonight. And so I had to get into my, I remember it was a little, my little one-litre polo fox coupe, drive home to my folks' house where I was staying, get my my dad's suit, because I didn't have a suit at that at that point, drive back. And, uh, and go on air. And I, I kind of never forget it. It was sort of 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then, all right, you're on. <laughs> and I was like, it was a bit, it was a bit sink or swim. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't drown, but I might have, uh, yeah, I might have slightly <laughs> spoiled my dad's suit or something like that. It was pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> Talk yeah. about throwing someone in somewhere. I'm prepared. Yeah, I know, Lisa, I know. It was, it was really like, there you go. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, you're not going to be doing it again. So Sky was really like young at the time. It was it was only eight years old and it was almost like the Wild West of TV. So they really gave people an opportunity without much experience. Now, you know, you I mean, I don't know how they recruit people now, but it's it's usually it's, it's not jokers like me. Nowadays, I think you have to have a degree and, uh, um, you know, and I have had a lot of experience just to get a screen test. So I was very lucky in terms of timings in those days. You started presenting Rugby Union on Sky Sports. What skills did you have have to think that you think made you the best choice to be a presenter on Sky? I had a very um, uh, understanding boss and he was the kind of guy that perhaps doesn't exist as much anymore in that he was very confident in what he was trying to do and what he wanted to do. So he always brought people through and they're the best kind of bosses. Might as well give him a shout out. It's a guy called Martin Turner. And he was, uh, yeah, he was a bit of a maverick and he liked giving young people an opportunity. And I was only, I think I was 24 at the time when um, I'd kind of been training a little bit on Sky Sports News and, and they'd moved me around lots of different sports, which I loved. 
but I joined on work experience in the rugby department because that was kind of what I'd played at school and university and stuff. And so, yeah, just when, when the main presenter had left, um, I'd, I'd been doing sort of some of the earlier programs, some of the New Zealand rugby and that they were like, okay, let's, let's give them, give them a shot. So I think I was 24 when I started presenting and then 27 when I got the main rugby job. So yeah, it was, I was, I was very lucky to get it so young. Do you remember your first time presenting live in front of the cameras? What was that like for you? Well, as I was, as I was saying there, um, Thomas, it, it's like, it, it's, it's terrifying. No matter what anybody says to you, the first time you go live, it's, it's terrifying. Now, what I find more terrifying is speaking at things like my dad's 80th or I was best man for a couple of people. Those sort of things where you've got a live audience, which we do... A, fair bit of <laughs> I mean they can go there's a lot of scope for that to go wrong and when it goes wrong with an, a live audience in front of you like that you really know about it I remember I, I was hosting um, a rugby award ceremony once and they decided that they were going to do it in one under one of the stands in Chelsea I think it was the Rugby Players Association Awards and like a lot of your success is by <laughs> judged by whether people can hear you and, and all that. So the people at the end couldn't hear what I was saying. Probably what I was saying wasn't very good anyway. Um, but when it's deathly silence and there's sort of a thousand people watching you, you just want the ground to swallow you up. So I kind of got used to live TV now because it's it's you, the camera crew, the sound people and the people in your ear. And you kind of forget that there's millions of people watching. But So I find it harder talking to a room of sort of 100 people or whatever than I, than I do going on TV. Yeah, talking to big crowds. Yeah, sometimes it can make you feel like they're going to eat you alive. Yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly. Have you done that yourselves? Have you done any any of this, like, public speaking? Have you started the podcast and are you doing anything kind of live ones, live shows? The, the only thing, well, there's technically two, two times where I've actually, like, been in front of an audience. My earliest memory is just kind of how, like, I overcome the fear of stage fright. Because, like, yeah, I still get nervous, but I don't, like, feel like, oh, my God, I can't do that. But basically, I think I was, like, eight and a half at the time, and it was, like, Halloween at the time. And um, in Bridge North, there was, like, the, the theatre there. Yeah. And this one guy was, like, doing, like, one of these magic shows as a coffin. And I ended up, like, going up on stage, and, like, I made, like, a really – it wasn't even a joke, because, like, at the time, because I was a kid, and I didn't properly understand, like, how jokes work. I just made a re random reference to like the the Cloudy of a Chance of Meatballs movie, but I think mm -hmm. the the crowd were like semi laughing at me and with me, but it didn't make me feel nervous. It just it felt like I I got inside my head. Oh, maybe I just made him laugh on purpose. So yeah. you know, it was like ever since then, I just haven't really had that fear. Like oh, you know, I'm gonna be petrified. What will they think of me like on stage or if I'm doing a presentation or something? You know. So. But but I bet you, Thomas, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Lisa, the, 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 thing, the, the thing you like doing about this, and I'm sure it's the same for you as well, Adam, is that you get a bit of an adrenaline rush, don't you? Knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm talking and it just, it's amazing. That's one thing I do find after doing a lot of live TV is you come down afterwards, you feel like, wow, I've got been buzzing for a few hours. Have you had that, Alyssa? Have you? Sometimes when I'm talking to someone, I really, 
I'm really nervous about talking to. Like yeah. this one time, we interviewed my mom's hero, hero, Who's and that? I was nervous of making myself sound like a fool in front of them. Who was that? Who, who's, who's your mum's hero? Um, can't believe I forgot his name. Yeah, we spoke to um, Mick Foley, the WWE wrestler. Yes. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. The guy who had Santa as his screen name. Right. Did he? <laughs> that when he did, he changed that just for the part. I should have changed mine. What have I got? Right, that's boring, putting my real name on there. I should put one of, put one of my nicknames, but they'd be too rude. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, what I, I, that's what I love about. Uh, live TV, it's that it's that rush of you know doing something and uh, and knowing that it could go wrong at any moment. Yes, we've had a few moments like that. <laughs> yeah, we've got the edit button though, Alyssa. So that's that's good. Yeah, yeah you know the edit button. button. Yeah. Don't yeah. know where the edit button is. <laughs> I've been trying to find it. I mean, you, you presented the coverage of the Lions in New Zealand in 2005 and South Africa in 2009. We've spoken to a number of players from those tours, such as Sir Clive Woodward, Lewis Moody, Shane Williams, Will Greenwood. But I'm interested to hear what those tours were like for you as a presenter. Um, so they, they were both highlights of my career because I, I grew up like one of my earliest memories of watching sport. My dad was a mad keen rugby fan. So, so watching the Lions, because it came around every four years and because they only went to say New Zealand every 12 years um, to be able to do Alliance tour was something I dreamt about. In fact, when I was a terrible trader that I was telling you about for Cargill working up in Lincolnshire, I was playing for Lincoln rugby team. And then it was 1997. So the year before I joined Sky and it almost made me want to join Sky because I watched Miles and Stuart Barnes's commentary of the 97 Lions tour in South Africa. Um, and the Guskett drop goal and the Matt Dawson uh, try in the corner. And I, you know, I loved it. I loved it. So to find myself doing the 2005 New Zealand tour, again, that was terrifying because it was the biggest thing that I'd ever done at the time. And I was aware of how many people loved the Lions and maybe people that didn't even like rugby switched in, switched on to, to, to watch the Lions. So the, the problem with that one was it was a, a bit of a jinxed tour. And I remember... Um, Sir Clive Woodward took so many people on that. I think it was like a party of 45, wasn't it? It was almost three teams worth. I remember having, doing the launch and Sir Alistair Campbell, <laughs> you know, fresh from everything that had happened with the Iraq war and everything like that, turned up and he was the head of comms and he was trying to change my auto queue. And I, and I thought, hold on a minute, I'm just announcing a team. Um, so it kind of felt... You, you know, it, it was jinx when Brian O'Driscoll did his shoulder when Umaga took him down and was it the first test? Uh, it, it was like, there was no way back. So that was a fairly miserable tour for the Lions. I loved it because of the broadcasting side. But then when Geach came back and did 2009, um, you know, that was that was just incredible. And, and even though they lost the first test, was the first test in Durban? I'm, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was. And we were all up on a roof and I was with Will Greenman and it was it was just an incredible test match. All three of them were. And they could have gone either way. And it felt like that that was the tour where the spirit of the Lions returned. So I, I was really proud to have been part of that. And, you know, I'll never, ever forget that till the day I die. That was uh, yeah, definitely two, two highlights of, uh, of my broadcasting career. Do you spend much time with play with the players when you're on tour, or do you stay totally away from them? Yeah, you 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 see them at training. You see them when you interview them. 
And I always, I always found actually it was, and and it doesn't matter what sport you do, um, it, if you're in and around drivers or the players or things like that, and you are there and you are talking about them, and you're there for your for your pundits or your experts to critique them and say what they think is going wrong or whatever, then it's very very difficult to forge any sort of relationship with current players and and things like that. So. And the same with drivers. But the moment that they step into the TV environment, you've got so much in common and it's very, very quickly you become friends. So, um, yeah, you know, you stay separate when when you work in the media. Um, you know, light and everything. But you, stay, you don't go out for you don't go out for beers with them very often. No. What you is the go out, with, <laughs> go out with lions anyway. They have cars. <laughs> and teeth. Right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> What is the best piece of advice that you can give to someone who is starting out as a presenter? Well, it's easier said than done, but I, I think it's basically try and be yourself. Um, and that's all you can do. I think I, I, I made a little pact to myself as I was bricking it before I went on to that first, uh, that first Sky Sports News thing. I said, look, you can, all you can do is be yourself. And if it goes wrong, laugh at yourself. Um, I think you know if you take yourself too seriously or you worry when there's a mistake, then you can get very tense about things. But if you if you if you make a mistake and you laugh it off and you always know, well, you can just have a laugh with the person next to you because there's usually somebody there that you can bounce off and have a bit of a, a good time with, then you can recover because someone will tell you what's coming next or whatever in your earpiece. So be yourself and be be able to laugh at yourself. Believe me, I, I, I've had to do a lot of that because of uh, some of the terrible errors I've made in the past. So, Okay, speaking of your errors, okay, forgive okay. me for this question. Okay, okay. Have you ever messed up on live TV? Yes, I have. Uh, a lot. Um, I don't know which one you've read. You, you might have read a couple online, but uh, <laughs> or, or maybe you remember them, but they might be a little bit when you when you were quite young, Elisa. Um I the probably the, the, the one of the ones I made was I was doing an overnight cricket with Jimmy Adams, who used to be the captain of the West Indies. And uh we had a reasonably inexperienced director in there. And you know, it's overnight cricket. So I think people are kind of a little bit half asleep, whether they're in the gallery or in the studio. And I was eating my dinner, I suppose it was, but it was probably about four in the morning or something like that, which was a meat pie and chips. And usually if the feed goes down of the pictures, they cut to a wide shot of the ground so that then we can pick up and it looks like, okay, it's the pictures, it's not a problem. But instead of doing that, they just cut to me like that with like sticking a mouthful of meat pie and chips in my mouth. And like, you're like, I did, I did, I cheers, mate. I know, cheers, mate. It's gravy <laughs> flew, all over the, uh, flew all over the camera lens. So I've done that. I made a couple of faux pas. I won't get into to the one I made in Monaco. Suffice to say, it was terribly well. It was a bad. Yeah, it wasn't even meant to be a joke. It was just a. Yeah, a don't say anything to... else that you don't find a too big of a no-no. Yeah, exactly. Let's leave that one. Let's let's leave the meat pie one in there. But there was one I had to yeah. apologise for twice on air. So that was that was a that was a tough one. Yeah, remember this is a this is an interview, not an interrogation. Okay, thanks, Alyssa. So maybe we'll just go and their gravy went all over the screen. Edit, pick up with the next question. Maybe. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you also presented Sky Sports Cricket and Sky F One. 
Yeah. Is it the same presenting for different sports, or do you have to change and adapt your styles for each sport? Um, I think you have to change and adapt, actually. But when when I was, there's a lot a lot of presenting that goes on in studios where, as I understand it now, pre presenters kind of get fed a lot of lines in their ears and. Um, you know, some of the producers are asking the questions for them, and then the presenters are kind of just like parrots repeating what what's said. I could ne I'd never be able to work like that. And thankfully, I've had bosses that understand that I don't like to work with that. So, in the studio, you're in a very controlled environment, and it's it's very it, you know. I'd it sounds yeah. It's just I suppose um, reasonably simple presenting. But what I found incredibly challenging was moving to Formula One. And look, there's no auto cue. There's no, and I, but I've worked with no auto cue for about 15, 20 years now. So it's, it's okay. But that can be mildly terrifying too, when you just got to trust what you can say that's up there because that can go wrong. And sometimes the voices in your head can, can get in the way as well. So it's like, you've got to just be very, very clear with what you're doing and know what you're doing in a very uncontrolled environment. So that's the difference between the studio stuff and maybe the pit lane and the paddock of Formula One, I think. Plus it's very loud because of the cars. You have been Sky Sports lead presenter for Formula One since 2012. How did it feel when you moved to Formula One to be the presenter? Um, well, I've always, I've always watched Formula One when I've not been working, um, usually on a, on a Sunday in the, you know on the sofa. Um, but but now now when I first moved in, obviously the BBC were doing it at the same time, so we were in competition with the free-to-air broadcaster. So obviously, when you've got to pay for something, probably it's a bit more difficult to get people on your side. And I think it took us a few years of doing it Skyway before we were accepted. We're still not accepted by some people, um, but I hope that what we've done is we've brought really in-depth coverage of the sport like it's never been covered before so we're we could be on air for 20 hours a weekend with you know umpteen different shows but it, it's um i think that's the beauty of sky because they've got their own dedicated channel we can take the time to explain what needs to be explained and bring all these different people in so it was hard to start with but i, I think people are accepting that um the quality of the product is 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 is, is, is as polished as it's ever been probably in F1, you in Formula One, you've travelled the world nearly every week. Why? What sort of traveller are you, and do you enjoy going from country to country? Impatient. <laughs> impatient. <laughs> sums yeah. it up. That yeah, sums it up. I'm impatient. I'm not as impatient as Crofty. You know, our commentator. He is the most impatient man in an airport you've ever met. Um, so I, I tend to stand a couple back from Crofty when he's going through <laughs> security, but, um, yeah, you just, you just want to get there. But when, when, when the race weekend's over, you just want to get home and that, that, that sounds spoiled, but, um, whilst we're there, we're very focused on the job and we're good, we're good friends and all that. But, um, what kind of traveler am I? They're impatient. That's a simple <laughs> question. That's it. Simple. <laughs> You should see me when I'm trying to do yeah, something I'm, I'm trying, I really want to do. <laughs> I'm patient to it. get it done. Just get it done. Get it. I need to get home. I'm tired and grumpy. Yeah, exactly. You have worked in a lot of broadcasting teams and have 
travelled the world, you must have spent time with some funny people and seen some great pranks. What are the best ones you have seen? The best, sorry, the best? The pranks. pranks. Best pranks that I've seen. Yeah. And who was the prankster? <laughs> um, what have we done prank-wise? I mean... I mean, anything involving coffee, you can, you can, I mean, you can wind coffee up, as I told you, he's a patient traveler like, like that. Um, I mean, if you nick any of his food, he goes like that. <laughs> so we kind of, uh, you know, if, if you take a sausage off his plate, he knows it's gone in, uh, in, in five seconds and he'll be at you. But prank wise, you know, I can't think off the top of my head what we've done, um, but we've traveled around with a big group of friends and it's, it is brilliant, but it's like a dysfunctional family. So we we all got our various foibles, and we all know each other inside out. So um, you know, kind of when to leave the others alone and when to wind them up. I tend to to veer towards winding them up a lot more, particularly Crofty. So uh, apologies to Crofty if he's listening, but there we are. He's uh, he probably is. He probably, of course, he is. With the listener <laughs> like, like this, there'll be of course he'll be tuning in. Yeah, the closest thing I've ever got to a prank was the time I hid my sister's phone under my pillow. Yeah, how did you react to that? She knew it was me instantly because we share a room. <laughs> <laughs> she went, well, no one had come in in the interim. All right, well there you go. That's good. Keep doing it. Bit of weight, <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> Where is your favourite place to travel to in the world, and why? Favourite place to travel to? I've got loads. It's all dictated by um, the people, the kind of vibrancy of the cities that we go to. So I love going to Melbourne. absolutely love it. We've just come back from there. We always arrive a day early um, to get over the jet lag, and I find the best way to do that is play golf, and I love golf, so we go and do that. Even though it drives you nutty. Even though it drives me nuts. I'm a glutton for punishment. I keep coming back for more. So we do that. Um, so I love Melbourne. I love Budapest. If I've got friends coming um, and it's to anyone in Europe, then I always invite them to Budapest because it's such an it's such a beautiful city. It's so much fun. The track's not far away. It's the one before the summer break. So everyone's in a kind of demob, happy half-term vibe going on. And So I love that. And then I've got friends in Singapore and it's, uh, it's it's a really it just looks like a film set i don't know if you've watched the singapore grand prix but it, it's just an incredible place um and we live like vampires when we're over there so we stay on british time so um we kind of go to bed at five in the morning when you come back from the track at two in the morning so it's it's weird but i, I love it i love going over to asia you have started a film production company called silver entertainment yeah. you have made a few sporting films such as the Greatest Game, Hill, and McEnroe. McEnroe, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that one and more. <laughs> Can you tell us a, a little bit about these, this, please? And what was it like to create these films? It's, it's brilliant. I mean, I think one thing about Sky is that they've afforded, you, you know, they let you, you know, you're, you're only doing, let's say, for example, I'm doing 16 races this year. I'm not the kind of person that likes to sit around and do nothing. So uh, I've always liked, I think we're in the business of storytelling anyway, and I've always wanted to make documentaries. So um, yeah, we started off with uh, the John McEnroe documentary. Uh, he's a tennis, before your time, but he was a very angry tennis player. 
Um, and he used to get a lot in trouble with umpires and things like that. But he's a really good commentator now, and he's got such an incredible story. Um, they called him the Super Brat, um, but he, you know, he had a he had a fantastic career, and his matches with Bjorn Borg were some of the best ever. So that was a pleasure to do, and we filmed that in the pandemic in New York. So that was uh, a challenge in itself for the team that were doing it. And then we made one about the the greatest game is one about the Cricket World Cup final in 2019, which is on Sky documentaries, I think, still at the moment. Um, and that was just basically about the big that I think the greatest cricket game I've seen, certainly one day cricket game that that, that England won. Um, well, perhaps it was a tie, but England still won it uh, on, on the last, the very last ball of the Super Over. So that was an amazing, amazing, amazing film um, to be involved with just because of the, the nature of that. I'm such a massive cricket fan too. Um, so it was a pleasure to be involved with that. And then, yeah, the Damon Hill one is one we're still trying to get off the ground, but um, we're very hopeful that we will. Uh, and it's the story about Damon Hill, who's a, a friend and colleague, but his story is in incredible too. So it's a pleasure to be involved in these things, um, but uh, they're quite expensive and difficult to get made. So that's that's half the problem these days. What has been your favourite film to produce and why? Um... Well, the one I was most actively involved with was the cricket film. Ironically, I was at Silverstone because it was all on the same day as, I think it was Wimbledon men's final that day. It was the British Grand Prix and it was the World Cup cricket final. So it was one of the most amazing sporting days. And I remember being on air at Silverstone and we were, it was like the race had finished. We were just doing our post-race show and the cricket was up on all of the, the screens, they put it up for, for the fans to watch. And you know, we kept getting caught coming in vision, just watching that, <laughs> forgetting what you were saying. But it, it had that much of an effect on me that we were, I actually only, I listened to it and watched it on SkyGo live uh, after the after the event, the car on the way back. But the tension was incredible. You, it's like a Hollywood script. That That's the whole point. There'll, there'll never be a game of cricket like that again of that scale on that occasion. And that's what made it extra special. So I had a, a, it was a huge privilege to do that and work with some some great people on it. Um, and hopefully it will be on terrestrial TV, we're hoping um, towards the the end of this year when the World Cup comes. So hopefully you guys can see it then, or if not, it's on Sky Documentaries now. So uh, yeah, very, it was an honor to be involved in that. What is the next film you are going to create? Uh, well, that that's hopefully, fingers crossed, is the Damon Hill one. But we've got a couple more in the pipeline. I can't uh, can't give too much away, but we have got one on, on Jonah Lomu, who is a very famous rugby player um, that we've been working on, trying to get, get going for a number of years. So that is one that we're very excited about because his story is a very sad one. Um, he died at the age of 40 because of kidney, um, kidney problems and nephrotic syndrome. But... Uh, he, I mean, he changed the face of rugby and was one of the reasons, funny enough, when I was just a junior doing the rugby at, at Sky, I used to log his games. You know, some of his games, I used to just go and low move, breaks tackle, low move, scores, try, low move runs, so that the people cutting it together could know. So I've I, he was just a phenomenon and I grew up watching him. And so it's great now with a bit of um, time gone by to be able to tell those stories, for hopefully for people like yourself who might not have seen him so you could understand how he changed the game of rugby which he did we we played this game of 
some other Sky Sports pundits and presenters, such as Nasser Hussain, Michael <laughs> Atherton, Rob Key and Bumble, when they were both working with Sky and also Sky Sports football pundits Matt Murray and former Sky pundit Matt Letizio. Okay. Can you can can we play it with you too, please? Well, it depends what it is, but yes, I'll do it. We we will ask you questions about your Sky F1 team, and you have to name one person as the answer. Are you ready? <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Uh, do, you, do you know our team? Are you guys? Do you, do you know a few of them on our team? Well, I was tilting my head in confusion the entire time, so <laughs> I'm going to remain silent. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> If if you could go on a night out with someone, who would it be and why? Uh, a night out with Damon Hill is always fun because he is um, well, he's the champ and he's 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 good fun and he's not as he might seem. He's he's out there on a different cosmic plane, so it's good fun to hang out with Damon Hill. Nice. You have got into a fight. Who do you want to come oh, and help you? <laughs> going to a fight? You don't want to help me? Um, Scenarios not actually going to happen. <laughs> I hope. Well, you, you never know. We're, we're, you know, things can get a bit larry. If I jinx that, I am very sorry. <laughs> Who do I want? Well, I would say just, you know, just, you know, for the weight behind a punch, probably Crofty. Yeah. If not, I'll go with Jensen Button because he's very fast. Although whether he, you know, I'm not sure how hard he is, but you know, he he's he's pretty strong. So yeah, one of them. Who is the last to the bar to buy a round of drinks? Anthony Davidson. <laughs> you said that very quick. <laughs> you knew that Believe like me, that. Me, honestly, I, I mean, has that man bought a drink in the 12 years I've been doing this with him? No. <laughs> he <has not. laughs> Who would you like to travel the world with? I'm pretty good friends with Karun Chandok. I, I he's he's great, and he's he's although he's quite bossy, he does tell me what to do all the time. So you know, as I said, we know each other well. We're a dysfunctional family, so it probably drives me mental. But I wouldn't have to. Uh, I wouldn't have to. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have to think about things too much. He'd be able to say, right, you're going there. You're going there. You're going there. Uh, who is the funniest to laugh at or with? Uh, I'd say with, with to laugh with to laugh with. Uh, I, I again, I have uh, a good laugh with Damon. I have look at all of them. They're all great. Ted's funny. They they they've all they all have their moments. So I'm not going to say who's the funniest because then I'll get lynched. But uh, yeah, yeah. they be um, at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't think your kids want to get ready for prepare your funeral. No, no, no. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to get lynched. So, yes, they're all hilarious, and I will spend time with any of them. Thank you. Well done. Good questions. Good questions. Hopefully, okay. I've not stitched myself up there. <laughs> Martin Brundle, I think that's his name. It is. Is a fam- is famous for his grid walks. Don't you know what that is? What has been his funniest moment, and can you tell us about his grid walks, whatever those are? <laughs> You should watch one. I tell you why, Alyssa, because that is the ultimate live TV. That is the ultimate live TV. Um, 
he he gets basically he says he he just goes in. He's so nervous about it. He's been doing it for twenty five years, but anything can happen. And he doesn't really have anyone like I have a guest that I can throw to if there's an awkward moment. He just stands there and has to soak it up himself. But he went to, I think he tried to to interview Megan the Stallion on the grid in Austin, and he was told by he was told by one of her kind of lackeys or one of her handlers that that just he wasn't allowed to speak. And this guy looked like, you know, Draco Malfoy out of Harry Potter. He looked yeah. like him. Like that. <laughs> That's and, a bad thing. Well, it, well, you'd say exactly. But then when he told Martin, because Martin's such a cult hero for everybody, when Martin, when he basically told Martin to go away, not realising it was live TV, everybody on Twitter and social media <laughs> turned on him and went, Look, Draco Malfoy is telling Martin. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Bundle to go away? So the jerk that, just that got yeah, that owned. Was, I know. Owned. Wrecked. He's wrecked. Venus Williams blanked him a lot. Um, I think it happened. With, well, it happened to me. I had to fill in once, and Christina Aguilera did not want to know. I can tell you that. That was. Uh, but I'm not as um, prepared as he is, or not done, done as many as he has. So again, that was uh, that was a very hairy moment on TV. But he handles it brilliant. He's a pro. He knows what to do. So um, yeah, bring them on. There's there's going to be a good one coming up. If this is going out, Miami last year, there were some moments there as well because there were a lot of influencers, and the influencers kind of think they're a big deal, and uh, and Martin put them away last last time when one guy said, "Yeah, I'm." such and such i got 22 million followers on instagram and martin just went oh and modest too down as well yeah yeah do they need an ice pack after <laughs> exactly it was very good it was, it was it was funny it was very funny how important is it in f1 to have a great team behind a driver such as mechanics coaches trainers directors etc um, it's it's hugely important. They all come with their own teams now, Thomas. So, I mean, they have done for a while. I mean, in the days of James Hunt, where it was kind of James Hunt by himself, uh, doing what he did the night before and then getting into a to a racing car, that doesn't happen now. They all have, uh, they all travel with their trainer. The trainer's also their physio and probably their closest confidant. So Lewis Hamilton's just um, kind of split with his one of seven years, Angela Cullen, um, I don't, you know, no one knows the reason behind it, but I think she was trying to, do, wanted to do something else with her life, but they travel as a pair. And then around all of that, you've got, um, you, you need, it's the ultimate team sport, Formula One. So without the best pit crew, without the best engineers, without decent team, team principles and, uh, and all of the people, the designers, everybody that makes the car, and it can be as many as, I don't know, 1400 people that make the engine and the car. That's why it's the ultimate team sport. And the, the, the team that does everything best and brings together the, the car, 14,000 odd parts, I think, in your average Formula One car, the team that gets it right the most um, and brings it together as a team the most wins on the track. And the stopwatch doesn't lie. So uh, that's why it's the ultimate team sport. So they, the drivers are as only as good as their entire team. Um, how how important is the car for a driver? If if you put the worst driver in a Red Bull car, would they win a race? Or the opposite, if you put the best driver in the worst car, would he uh, ever come first? The car is 99% of 
the winning factor in Formula One. So I think the difference between the top drivers is probably if you put them in equal machinery, there may be four tenths separating the top, the best 20 drivers in the world. And, and depends what track it is and obviously what circuit. But let's just let's just say half a second for the case in point. But between the top ones, after they've done a, a few laps of the same circuit, they'd all be within a, a couple of tenths probably. So I don't think you could ever say if you put that driver, a brilliant driver in a poor car, he could make the difference. Because it, it, you know, just look at what's happening to Lewis now with a with a, a, a you know a poor Mercedes car. He's still driving its socks off to get the best out of it, and he's doing incredibly well. George is the same. You know, Charles Leclerc is a brilliant driver. They can only do as much as the machinery. Max Verstappen. There are drivers that make a difference. Fernando Alonso's coming to Aston Martin, and he's a brilliant driver, and he's making it sing. And maybe he can get a couple more tenths than his teammate, and maybe that's what they can do. But if you put them all in the same car, there wouldn't be that much between them. Simon, what's I I enjoy F one. I'm not a, a huge fan. I don't, I don't know that much about it, but I enjoy. I mean, I mean, you casual watcher. Yeah. To me, all the cars look the same. They sound the same. They do the same. What makes that difference between? A fantastic Red Bull and a not so good Mercedes or Williams or um, it's basically interpretations of the rules. It's called Formula One because they set the formula for a set period of time and they can change that. You know, they'll they they might morph it, but the general rules, let's say for this one, which started this set of regulations started the beginning of last year and, and ends as we go into twenty twenty six, the new engine regulations. It's who's who's been able to. Um, push the limits of the formula. So who's been able to think outside the box of the prescriptive rules? Who's been able to uh, push the envelope in terms of car design, whether that's aero or mechanical or um, or whatever it might be to make the car a little bit faster? It can be, it can be the, the tiniest of things that has made just the most difference, just, just that minute piece of difference on the track. So... You know, Red Bull this year, for example, they have an exceedingly quick car in a straight line. So when they open the thing called the DRS flap, it, it's going faster than anybody else. They've got Adrian Newey, who th these cars are kind of skewed towards the old ground effect. And Adrian Newey, the de designer of Red Bull, was the only engineer involved when before it was outlawed the last time around. So... Um, so it just shows you, you know, it's, it's down to designers. It's down to really, really like minuscule percentages that make just, let's say, a tenth of a second here, a tenth of a second there, half a tenth here, half a tenth there. So, yes, they look fundamentally the same, but yet there will be something that just takes you a little bit further ahead. Do you think that F1 needs to change to make it more competitive? For example, should cars be more equal in performance and ability? Well, that's what they're trying to do with these regulations. So what they were trying to do was make it easier for the cars to follow. So when you're uh, in the olden days, without getting too boring about it, and plus I'm not an engineer or an aerodynamicist, so I'll probably tell you something wrong and look really stupid. But there's a lot of turbulent air, which was messed up air, used to come off the car in front, and it would ruin the downforce levels of the, the car behind. So what they've, what they've changed this particular set of regulations to is is something similar to ground effect where most of the downforce is generated by the underside of the car and it creates less turbulent air at the back 
So there's less of a wake for the car behind to kind of follow in. So it means that effectively the car behind can follow closely without destroying its tyres so much in theory, and we get closer racing. Plus, they've kind of tapered down wind tunnel and CFD time to do with, um, you know, where you finished in the last championship to try and level it up. And they'll keep doing it. They'll keep tweaking this. But it's brought the midfield closer. It's just that Red Bull's initial interpretation was so good that they've been able to to, to move even further ahead despite the, their restrictions on wind tunnel time. So they are trying to do it. It's very difficult to do, though, in a technical sport with so many clever people in are trying to, to make up the differences. I hope that wasn't too boring, but it's <laughs> all too complicated. But it's... That's that's kind of what they're trying to do is make it easy. Mm. I actually prefer things on the slightly more complicated side. <laughs> I like to play a play a card game that confuses everyone else. What's that called? <laughs> What's that one called? Uh, the card game's called Dual Dual Monsters. <laughs> Dual Monsters, right? Mm-hmm. What's that? <laughs> what, what, what's that? Um, you... it's a card game that started that that originated from an anime, Yu Gi Oh. It's my favourite. <laughs> right. I, yeah. But it confuses everybody. Yes. Lovely. That's I've cool. tried to explain yeah. it a few times. Yeah. Thomas yeah. here knows what I'm talking about because he was one of the people I explained yeah. it slightly to. If you wanna if you wanna win, confuse people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> being a being a presenter seems really hard. Doing this podcast is difficult when you have to speak to people read questions, listen to answers and more. So I can not imagine how difficult it is to do it in in live in front of millions of people. Can we have a little practice with you now, please? Adam okay. emailed you a right. short script yesterday. We all have uh, one in front of us and we are going to take in turns to read out. Can, okay. can you please read it? out in your best presenter voice and then give us a few tips before we read our ours out please i can do that should i do it in a, a different accent no no I'll do it. just do <laughs> as you <laughs> as you said before be yourself that be myself thanks that's a good point okay right here we go then hello my name is simon laserby and i'm a presenter on sky sports you may have seen my my present i see that's it i've just done an anchor man and I've just read what's in front of me, but actually it should say me, not my there. Shall I start again? If you want, go oh, ahead. You've, you've, you've stitched me up here. You've probably put some rude words at the end as well, haven't you? No, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, we we, we have to edit out bad words. Exactly. <laughs> I, I am not. Have you seen Anchorman yet? Just watch I that. have. I've okay. seen it. Well, I won't say the bit about San Diego at the end then. But, um, okay, hold on, right. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives, talking about the highs and the lows of their career, and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you.
There you go. That was amazing. I mean, no, no, but I mean, I messed up one, didn't I? But I was, you know. So then, so how would, because yeah, uh, Tom said at the start, doing this podcast, you have to read the questions, listen to the answers. Because I'm, even now, I'm reading the question. So I am listening, but I'm also reading this question. And yeah. you have somebody in your ear. How do you do that? You'll talk to three or four guests at one time. How do you do that? Any tips? Because any... I, I can imagine somebody in my ear is just going to annoy me. Yeah. It makes makes me feel, it kind of gets gives me idea of of thinking this is so annoying can't i just yank it out like a phone <laughs> it can be really annoying you know the one of the worst things is because i have these earpieces in if a producer is talking to me when i'm talking that that's a no-no right so you, it, it's the hardest thing if someone's blubbering away to you and you're trying to concentrate on what you're saying, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it, it is very, very annoying. Listen, I can tell you that. You're not wrong there. So you have to be able to kind of filter it out. So when I, when I know when I've got guests, the only thing that I need to listen to at that point is the guests um, because they're the people that I'm kind of reacting to. Uh, I'll hear in the back of my, you've got about a minute on the chat or two minutes on the chat. So I kind of know where I am time-wise and I know when they're going, and now Simon, wrap it up. But so so I just basically split it into what I'm doing. And I always have a fallback. If something goes wrong, I'll just ask a question to the person next to me, for example. And then, then you can just kind of get your head sorted. I think the only time you get yourself into trouble is when you don't actually know clearly what's going on in your mind. So if you keep it very, very simple and go, this is this, all I need to know is what I'm doing next. All I need to know is what I'm doing after that, once I've got to the next bit. So I do it very, very simply, step by step. Go on, Alyssa, do you want to give it a go to do the first two, two lines? Hello, my name's Alyssa, and I wanted to give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic, ch- autistic students who, who interview some of the big, biggest names in sports. Well done, Alyssa. <laughs> you've got the job that's it that's it or you, you just yeah. you know what don't it's i think when you're reading it yeah just just don't worry about don't worry about it just keep going that was great and keep it you know if you if in doubt i always slow it down that's the thing when you're reading like off an auto cue or things like that you, it's only you and no one cares anyway they're just words and just <laughs> that's the thing just think no one cares just words. I have a habit of repeating the same word whilst trying to process the next thing. I always think to myself, actually, you know, you know what? We're not here for long, are we? On on this earth, what what does it matter? No one's going to remember this, are they? When when we're all gone, so you can think of it morbidly like that. No, and then 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 it kind of like makes light of it. So it's like, okay, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen? Our parents scolding us for not thinking before speaking. <laughs> That'll never happen. That'll never happen. That was very you good. Sure? Very good. I'd be proud of you for doing this. Uh, Definitely. But besides the driver, who is the most important person in an F1 team? Hold on, hold on, Thomas. Are you not going to have a go at this? Uh oh. I kind of wanted to go, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Shall I, shall I like do it from the start or shall I like carry on? Yeah, why, why don't you? Yeah, do, do whatever you want. 
Go for it. Right. Go, go for it. it. Make it up, Tom. Make it up. Make it up. Wing it. Wing it. In fact, in fact, go off script. Just, just <laughs> tell us about. Outside the box time. <laughs> All right, I, I might, I might look at like the script for prompts, but yeah, I'll, I'll try my best without like looking too much. Um. Right. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello, my name is Thomas, and I am one of the two, um, the two people who um are the. And not guest host, sorry, host of the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is a podcast hosted by autistic students, uh, and the other student is known as Alyssa. She has recently joined the podcast and is doing a great job so far. We've chatted to many different people in a variety of different sports, and we spread our message of autism whilst into whilst interviewing the guests, and we also le- learn about their highs and lows and their sporting career. That's amazing. Well done, Tom. You two are a great team. Did you make some of that up? Or did you? Were you yeah. That's fantastic. Made that up. Yeah, uh, he, he made some of that up because uh, someone tells me other than the name bit, Yeah. the other presenter, the other host of the podcast doesn't show up at all. He made uh, that, he won that bit. Right. Okay, fine. Uh, that's, that's the only other tip I'll give you is I'll say this. If you can get to a point where you're not reliant on scripts, right, and if you can talk confidently into a camera without without the need for a script, it will free your mind. There you go. There's a little thing. It free your mind, and you'll be you'll Thank be like, you. okay, right, I've got this. I know it's just a camera. But besides the driver, who is the most important person in a Formula One team? The car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, right. that's right. That's it. In fact. Just leave it at that. I'm not, I can't say any more than that. Alyssa nailed it. The car is the most important person in the team. Yeah. <laughs> I can see to that. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. I'm sorry that was your question, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> you got it. I couldn't got it. help it. <laughs> Have you ever drove an F1 car? If so, what is it like? Have you ever drove one? Not that I would recommend it. I have. I've been in a passenger in a two-seater one. I bet you're having a mini panic attack. I was. It, it's amazing. Like you have to have a very strong neck because they they work on their necks all the time. It's the strongest because of the the forces, the G forces that are wiggling their heads around. Because obviously it's a single seater and it's you know kind of. So um, it basically turns you into a bobblehead. Open cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that. I was like, my head was going all like that, all over the place, banging off the side and the front, things like that. But it's what a rush it is because the acceleration is like, think of the fastest roller coaster you've ever been on and multiply it. Roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. So you go, I mean, I can't remember what an auto 60 is, but it's, you know, a couple of seconds or something like that. It's just unbelievable. I want to take you to the end of the 2021 F F1 season. Okay. This will probably go down as the most controversial race of all time. This is where Max Ver Stop don't him. know yeah, beats beats Lewis Ham- Hamilton in the final lap of the season as a presenter out there at the time. Can you really tell what happened from your point of view? And did the right person win? 
Oh, wow. Oh, wow. These are the kind of things that get you into uh, so much trouble because of everything that happened in that. If you, think, if you think he'll get you into trouble, you don't have to say anything. No, 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 no. Because, of course, we all know what happened. I mean, the, 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 the fact is that if the, the rules have been followed to the letter of the law, Lewis Hamilton should have won that race, but they weren't, okay? Now, whatever the circumstances were for that, which was Michael Massey's decision to bring the safety car in early, for example, and, and allow for uh, a racing lap, um, it was all down to the minutiae and interpretation of rules. But if they'd stuck to the letter of the law, it shouldn't have happened like that. And Lewis Hamilton should have been um, the world champion. So um, it was really difficult to communicate at the time because actually we were trying to work out what was going on because it was so complicated. So there is, um, it will never be forgotten, that race. It won't be forgotten by Verstappen fans, Hamilton fans or Formula One fans because Yes, it was controversial. It, yes, it reflected poorly on the sport itself. But, you know, what he was kind of, you're always going to get into that situation with a late safety car. And, you know, you, they didn't want to finish the championship, close championship underneath the safety car or behind the safety car because it would have been not the end that everybody wanted. However, it shouldn't have ended like that either. So we've got to a situation whereby towards the end now, potentially they're red flagging it. So it's a very, very difficult one, that. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's history. It's in the books now. Verstappen won it, but it should have been Hamilton's. Formula One is a very dangerous sport. Sadly, drivers have died in the past. Thankfully, the sport has become a lot safer, but you still get severe incidents, such as in 2020, when Roman Grodron looked at lucky to escape his burning car in your opinion does the sport need to does a sport need to do more to be safer and if so what more can be done well they're constantly trying to improve it i'll be I'll really really quick on this one thomas because it's it's like they it's never ever going to be 100 percent safe because of the speeds because no crash is the same because no situation is the same you know coming together of i don't know two cars three cars, five cars, um, different angles into the barriers, cars coming back off barriers and people hitting them at full speed. It's so dangerous that you'll never make it completely safe, but they work day and night to make sure it's as safe as possible for these guys. So the survival cells that they sit in, those, these cockpits are super strong and they have to pass these crash tests. At the but beginning not fireproof. No, but well, that was again. That was just a really crazy situation. If you're talking about the Crojan one, no, you know when he went through and he was up in flames like that, we all thought he was dead. But to see him get out of that alive showed you how the safety has improved. Because I mean, he would have been dead if that had been. I bet know, he had a few burns on him, though. Yeah, sorry. I bet he had a few burns on him. Though. Yeah, he did. His his hands are still. You know, you can still see he's driving now in, in IndyCar and doing well. But, you know, he, 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 he could have suffered a lot more. He was very, very lucky. You recently sat down with Lewis Hamilton and did a lie detector test with him. Yeah. Did you watch Can it? You ta- <laughs> I need to watch it now. I'm just confused. Did he commit a crime? Why are you taking <laughs> no, a lie I didn't detector ask that one. He said at the end, he said, why, why didn't you ask me, have you ever committed, committed a crime? Because he was going to say, 
think he might have said yes, but I don't know what it would have been. But he was like, why didn't you ask me that one? But we had to leave quite a bit out of the lie detector test. Sorry, I don't know if you finished your question there, Thomas, but we had to leave quite quite a bit out because, um, <laughs> yeah, because some things were, you know, I mean, brilliant. I can never repeat them, but there is a copy somewhere of uh, some of the things. He was so open and so honest. It was the most revealing interview I've ever done with anybody else. I'd like to carry a lie detector around with me now for all of my interviews because <laughs> uh, we know. Can, can you tell us what Lewis is like as a person and can we win another world championship? Um, Lewis is... I. Lewis is a great person underneath it all. If you talk to his team, he's in a sanctum. He's he is uh, as down to earth as the day that he started. However, he's such a superstar that I think what gets lost in the media occasionally is that he is still this down to earth kid from from Stevenage, and I think he has to. His persona is such now. Okay, he's he's into his fashion. He's into his music. He's, you know, into into saving the planet, which is which is which is fantastic. I think sometimes the, the thing is when you're as famous as he is, you have to put a bit of a mask up for um for for the fans in the paddock and 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 all that. He he kind of just has. To, otherwise, he'd be stopping every two seconds for a for an autograph. You, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be as famous as he is, and it can't be easy for anybody. So I think he deals with it and copes with it admirably well. And I think he's um. You know, just you saw it actually on the lie detector test. That was as him as he as I'd ever seen him in an interview. And I think he's uh, he's definitely got a really good sense of humour. And uh, and uh, I I think he's uh, he's a really good guy. I have a question. Did you rob a police station for the lie detector test? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I got I got my mate. I got my mate Ray to come along. He's, he's a, a hit Did he rob one? No, he, he actually, the guy that was doing it, yeah, he uh, he used to work for the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Force, and the one in Seattle. And now he uses it mainly for couples going through divorces to see if they're lying or not. So I think it was a welcome break for him to come and do a lie detector test with Lewis Hamilton. Instead of angry couples yeah. that could kill you at any minute. Exactly. Before we finish, we would like to play a game with you that we play with all our guests. The game is called Wrong Answers Only. Okay, okay. <laughs> we will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer. Are you ready? I am ready. I think I'm ready. Okay. Favourite racetrack in the world? Saudi Arabia. Best driver you've ever seen, like driver Nicholas Latifi. Okay, who's that? Highlight, <laughs> Highlight of your career. <laughs> Not sure I've had one yet. Is that the wrong answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fa- favorite sport to present? Wrong answers only. Synchronized swimming or dressage. Dressage probably. What's that? <laughs> It's where the horses just walk around like with like on tiptoes. I mean, it's very skilled from the horses, but it's like watching paint dry, unless you know what's going on. I'm not a massive fan of dressage. Watching paint dry? Watching I... paint dry. That's my yeah. favourite sport. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather try and meet, read, I'd rather read a map upside down. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the best thing about Simon Lazenby is. Um, I'm sorry, how, you have to how how ugly he is. How no, how good looking he is. Which one's the wrong way around so I can reverse it and say I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't want to say anything. <laughs> There is nothing, there is literally nothing good about Simon Lazenby. So there you go, you can quote me on that. Nothing good. <laughs> oh dear. Every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This okay. week's question comes from our previous guest, who was former Newport County and Derby footballer, Mark O'Brien. And he asked you, if you could choose any other path in life, what would you choose and why? Any other path in life, what would it be and why? Um, A professional golfer. (laughs) Oh, run back, Elisa. Elisa doesn't understand it, but this is this is this is the whole point with it. You see, it's so difficult, and it's golf, right? That everybody's still searching for the perfect round. No one can ever get there. So something that's that difficult, imagine being able to conquer it like Tiger Woods did. What's he, he the did, handicap, yeah. Simon? Well, I mean, it's not very good, but it's uh, it's 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 hovering in the mid-teens right now. So we're about fifteen. That's pretty good. I used to be I used to be an eleven or a twelve, but uh, as I said, it's really hard, Lisa. So I'm getting worse and worse as I get yeah. older as well. It gets harder and harder. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I love the love the game. I find that. The harder it is, yeah. Unless it's maths or English, the more yeah. I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fine. The harder, unless it's maths or English, or maths. Oh my god. Don't get me started oh, on our te- on on the yeah, person who has us doing maths. Maths. I'm trying to do some of my my boys eight, uh, and I and I see his homework now. I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know what that is. So, you know, you come back, you're like, oh my God, this is going to get harder and harder. Well, I imagine what, when they're, when he's your age, if he's still doing maths, you're going to have to Google it. But by then, he'll probably be able to do AI, won't he? Because your, your lives are going to get better now because you can just type in three words and it will write your essay for you. Isn't that the challenge that teachers are facing now? <laughs> yeah. Do yourself a favor, teach him the four times table before it's too late. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Okay. All right, I'll get him to do that. Good tip. Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest? Guest, but we aren't going to tell you who it is. The question can okay. be anything you want. You can. Okay, I'm going to do just a desert island one. Okay. Yeah, so random as hell. If you, were, if you had to be stuck on a desert island with three people, it's like the dinner party one. Okay, if you're stuck on a desert island with Three people, you could, you had to, you, but you had to eat one. This is going to be a weird one. You had to <laughs> one, keep one, and let one go out onto the ocean to try and, you know, find, uh, find other land or find other people who they be and why. So you've got to name three people. So you've got to name the three people. And then, but they've run out of food, so they've got to kill one. They've got to eat one of them, right? <laughs> they've they've yeah, got to eat one of them for company, and they've got to send one out for help. So let me guess: you're eating crofty, sending Martin Brundle to swim, and keeping Damon Hill. 
That's it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Nailed it. Because you, you know, let's face it, you need to you will probably need to survive for a while. So yes, Crofty, unfortunately, you're getting barbecued. <laughs> you have to catch him first. I'll have to catch him first. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Simon. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Can I just say, I think you two are brilliant. And Adam, for, for putting it all together, but you two are fantastic hosts. That's so much fun because you made me feel at, at real ease, and I'm sure you do that with everybody. So it's brilliant. And you keep it up because I think, honestly, think you two superstars. So thank you. Thanks, fam. Pleasure is all mine. So, Alyssa, how did you feel about uh, chatting with Simon Lazenby? It was great. He's a good guy. What What would you say was your favourite part of the episode? The bit when he asked a question to our next girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't resist that one. <laughs> no. My mine personally was when he was um I, I was originally gonna choose like the, the, the one that was ready to cook it, but I decided to keep it with Formula oh, One and it was the part where um he got to be in like the the other seat with a Formula One driver and he was saying like how like you know it can like like shake your head side to side and up and down. You know what I'm wondering? If what? we could get Adam the next time we do a live one. To find a lie detector test for us. <laughs> oh, that would be interesting. My wonder. So, everyone, thank you again for listening to another episode of the TG Reverse Sports Podcast. Once more, we appreciate it. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and also to subscribe to the TG Reverse Sports Podcast YouTube channel if you haven't already. And, uh, yeah, and if, and, Thank you for the support once more, and we'll see you all next time. Peace, everyone. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.